Well, g'day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. Uh, my name's Matt. It's great you're tuning in with us today. This has been prepared for Sunday the 3rd of September, 2023. And as we begin, hear these words of scripture. From Psalm 84. O Lord of hosts, hear our prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Well, how true that is. Uh, let's go to a time of praise. Well, as we come to the ministry of God's word, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to love you in all things and above all things, and to reach the joy that you've prepared for us that's beyond our imagining. Father, we pray that as we open your word now, you would speak to us 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin with our psalm, which is Psalm 124. Uh, Have a read of that. And following that, read Daniel chapter 3. You can read the whole thing, uh, or you can read parts of it. If you have our bulletin, you can see the split up. But we're going to be looking at the whole thing in a moment. So do pause the video, take a moment, and read over God's word now. Well, let's pray again as we come to look at Daniel chapter 3 now. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see what you are doing, ears to hear you clearly, and that you give, give us hearts that respond to you with the praise that you and you alone deserve. Amen. Well, I wonder where you feel called to give your allegiance. We live in a world where we're surrounded by things that are competing for our loyalty. Uh, The advertising around us says, buy this, support this thing, shop here, use this service. And now sometimes for us, we do need to make decisions. Am I going to buy an Android or an iPhone? Am I going to get a Still or a Husqvarna? Am I going to go for Lions Club or Rotary? Penrith Panthers, St. George Illawarra Dragons, right? Easy choice. Now... Sometimes we are forced to make decisions, but quite often we can pick and choose and kind of go with whatever we like. We can split our loyalties, you might say. For example, you can start shopping at IGA and finish your shop at Woolies. But there will always be things in our lives that are calling out for us to give them our allegiance, whether that be our money, our support, our time, our energy. And the same is true when we open up the Bible. It doesn't take long of reading the Bible to see that in the middle of it is a God who calls out for our undivided allegiance. He made the world. He made us. He loves us. And he has therefore a claim on our lives. And in the face of a myriad of other worldviews and religions, this God calls us for our undivided loyalty. Now, for you, I'm not sure how you respond to that. I know not everyone watching will be a follower of Jesus. But for Christians, for the people around us, people who don't believe in the God of the Bible, Christians giving exclusive loyalty to him and seeking to live faithfully according to his word, to people around us, that can seem like a really strange idea and something that draws perhaps their disapproval or maybe even their hatred. And now, I'm not sure about you, perhaps you've experienced that for yourself. Christians every day find their loyalty to the God of the Bible being challenged. And if that's you, I don't think it's too simple a thing to say that people around you just don't get you. Right? They, don't, they don't understand how a God would have an exclusive claim on your life. They don't get why uh, you would choose allegiance to God, but that means you won't wear purple with them. They don't get why you choosing the God of the Bible means that you won't also dip into other spiritual things, why you won't go for Ouija boards or crystals or whatever it might be. To put it simply, they don't get why you would bow the knee to God at the exclusion of everything else. They don't get why you would live a life that chases faithfulness to God, but not also chase after the things that they do in life. Now, I'm sure you've felt that tension. Perhaps it's at the office. Maybe it's with family. Perhaps it's on, the, on your sports team. 
Maybe it's at school. We live in a world that wants to challenge our faithfulness to God. And take courage, though, because we're not in a unique situation. Uh, 2,600 years ago, this is the same tension that God's people felt in exile. As we open Daniel chapter 3 today, we find three friends who meet that, who had that same struggle. But as we start, I don't want you to miss the big idea of the whole passage, because it's quite a spectacular story. But I don't want you to miss that in Daniel 3, you need to see that the God who saves is worth giving your life for. Now, if you missed the last few weeks, uh, where are we in Daniel? Well, we're in Babylon. God's people, the Israelites, have been taken out of Jerusalem into exile. And it's not by chance. No, no. It's as a consequence of God's people continually ignoring him time and time and time again. And as a result, God has let them be taken out of their home. And as a result, God's name itself has been dragged through the mud. Because if this happens to God's people, then he mustn't be a very powerful God, right? But remember, chapter 1, this, Babylon, this is the place where God would have his exiles be for their blessing and also for the blessing of the city. And last week we opened up chapter 2 and the focus was on King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the vision he saw at night. And in chapter 3, we find the focus again is on King Nebuchadnezzar. And read with me, you can follow along, verse 1 we're told, that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's about 90 feet by 9 feet, right? Tall and skinny. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province province of Babylon. Verse 2, then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now jump with me down to verse 4. We're told that then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations, people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, it's like King Nebuchadnezzar has, has set up a big game of musical chairs, but in reverse. Right? When the music starts, you stop and you bow down and worship. But this is one of those cases of play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Because the prize for getting out in this game is that you're thrown into a blazing furnace if you don't bow down and worship this big gold statue. Now, what might that statue look like? We're not actually told. But my hunch is that it's, it's not actually one of his gods, but it's a statue that in some way is designed to celebrate and honour the king himself. And you might ask, well, where would he get that kind of idea from, building a big gold statue? Well, then we remember the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had last week, chapter 2. And we remember that his kingdom was represented by the kind of non-permanent gold head of the statue. And so it seems like Nebuchadnezzar, he's got some inspiration from that dream, right? And now he's determined to make his head of gold era of humanity as permanent as possible, to make it a big fixture in his kingdom. And now everyone is called to bow down and worship this thing, right? And so for the faithful people of God, for Daniel's three friends, this is a big problem. Now you might ask, where's Daniel in this story? 
Don't know, maybe he took the day off. But for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they come into the firing line. Because for these three Israelites, this is the first two commandments kind of issue. Right? Exodus 20, commandment 1. God says, have no other gods aside from me. Commandment 2, God says, don't make an image of anything in heaven or earth, in heaven or on earth, and bow down to it as if it was God. Now, it may have been that the king would never have known that they were refusing to do this, except, verse 8, that the astrologers, they snitch on them out of jealousy because they've got a, a good position in the kingdom of Babylon. And so, verse 13, these three friends, they're brought before the king and the king gives them this challenge. We see it in verse 15. He says, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Now, I just want to park at this verse for a moment and highlight a few things. Now, I don't think that Daniel wants us to miss the ridiculousness of this situation. Right? There's all this repetition that goes on throughout the passage again and again and again. The chapter itself, I think it would be half as long as if you cut out every part of repetition. It seems like the writer here, he has, he wants to be both solemn and sarcastic as he describes all the pomp involved in the ceremony. And we're told seven times, no less, that this image is an image of the king has set up, right? One the king has set up. What they're called to, what they're called to worship, it's no more divine than your, you know, good bit of head trimming or your kid's homework or your knee reconstruction. No, it's a set-up job. It's something the king set up. It's a farce. There are serious consequences if they refuse, but what they're being called to bow down to, it's ridiculous. And so finally in verse 15, Notice the challenge. He says, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the flat, um, blazing furnace. Verse 15, the end of it. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? There's a challenge. King Nebuchadnezzar versus the God of the Bible. There's about to be a showdown and he's asking them, are you ready to give your lives for what you believe? Well, I wonder how you would respond in that same situation. We'll come back to that question later. But let's now look at the responses of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 16, these three replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, they're saying, you might as well save your breath. right? Under this kind of law you've created, we're guilty, we know it, we're not going to try and defend our innocence. But we're also not going to change our mind on the issue either. And so they keep going. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he'll deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They don't doubt the power of God to deliver them from the king's furnace. But they also don't presume that he'll do it. And so even if God doesn't physically rescue them, they're ready to take on the consequences rather than compromise on something that's such a category one issue. You'll see, what matters most to these guys 
It's not deliverance. It's obedience. Because they know that the God of the Bible not only wants, but also deserves our uncompromising allegiance. Now, if you were them, if I were them, I don't know how I'd actually respond in the heat of the moment. But I might be tempted to justify a compromise. Because you could kind of come up with a lot of excuses to save your life in this situation, right? We could say, well, it's just a statue. It's not really God. We could say, well, I'll do it, but then I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Or maybe we might be tempted to justify a compromise on the grounds of our, our past history, our faithfulness before. Maybe I'd say, hey, chapter one, I've refused to eat from the king's table for three years, right? That was a big thing. I refused allegiance to the king. Maybe I'd say, chapter two, hey, me and my buddies, what happened when everyone's heads were on the plate? We didn't look to ourselves. We turned to God. We turned to him in prayer. So maybe in this case, you know, we can, we can give some leeway. And maybe I'd say, well, actually, this isn't the right time to cause a stir. Look where God's placed me. Look, look, where, look at the opportunities that we have for God in this way, for witness. Now, I think we're good at justifying things in our lives, aren't we? And perhaps for you, right now, are there some area of your life where you're justifying compromise? Now, you know what the Bible says. You know what God wants. But in this one particular area of your life, you're justifying not actually going along with him. It might be money. It might be about work. It might be about a relationship. Now, I don't know what it is, but you do. It's in your head right now. But Daniel 3 reminds us that the God of the Bible calls us to uncompromising service. And you might say, hey, mate, you, you don't know what it's going to cost me to give up that thing. You don't know. And that's right. I don't know. But God does. And he still asks for it anyway. No matter the cost. Now, as we keep going here, for these three friends, in choosing faithfulness to God, their fate is sealed. And so verse 19, King Nebuchadnezzar, he tells the guys to turn the furnace up, up to maximum. And then verse 20, he gets these strongest soldiers and he binds, he gets them to bind these men and then push them into the fire. And in fact, the fire is so hot that the men pushing them in end up dying as well. The picture that we're being given is one of an impossible escape, an impossible rescue, right? They have no chance. Sort of like the Canberra Raiders chances of winning the premiership this year. No chance. But to quote the words from Jesus in Luke 18, what is impossible for man is possible with God. Because in verse 24 and 25, when Nebuchadnezzar here, he looks into the flames expecting to see three barbecued men, he doesn't see that. What does he see instead? He sees them walking around unharmed. Not only that, there are now four of them in there. Right, can you imagine what the king would be feeling at this point? What's going through his mind? Right, you know that feeling you get when, when you're not just wrong, but when you're so wrong you can't believe it? Right, guys, you know what I'm talking about? Well, it would be an understatement to say that that is how Nebuchadnezzar feels at this point. And so in verse 28 and 9, he answers his own question 
from earlier, verse 15. He said, what God will be able to rescue you? This God. As he concludes in verse 29, for no other God can save in this way. See, in this encounter, a King Nebuchadnezzar, he's now met the God who can save not simply in an unlikely circumstance, but in an impossible circumstance. The God who rescues his people in exile, who are condemned to die. The God who rescues in this kind of -of out-of-the-box sort of way. And as we read this, it shouldn't be news to us that this wasn't the last time that God showed up to save his people in need. But not the last time that he brought about an impossible rescue for his people who are so bound that they can't help themselves. Rescuing people who stand condemned. Rescuing, rescuing people who, in effect, are dead men walking. But this is the way that God has saved us. Us who have wandered away from him. Us who exalt and worship other things in place of God. Us whose natural tendency is to undervalue God and instead to overvalue ourselves. And before God, living this way, we should face the just consequence of him for this kind of sinful rebellion. We should face his judgment for it. But it's in this helpless, this unlikely, this impossible situation of ours that God did something out of the box to save us, to forgive us, to bring us new and everlasting life. Right? For these three friends in the fire, they knew that God could save them, but they weren't sure if he was willing to help them in this particular moment of need. But for us, at the cross of Jesus, God shows us that he is both able to save us and also willing to save us in our greatest need. Not from any sickness or suffering, not from the world's scorn or hatred, but from the furnace of God's judgment against us. And he doesn't by going into a place of death on our behalf. He takes that on himself. So that if we simply have faith in what he has taken on for us, then we don't need to. And so therefore we echo King Nebuchadnezzar's words in verse 29 in a new way. For there is no other God who can save in this way. And if that is you, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have anchored yourself to him in faith, this is the promise of God for you. From Ephesians chapter 2. The promise is that because of his great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you no longer spiritually dead, but made you alive with Christ. Right? This is the promise that Daniel 3 points us toward. And we have a God who saves. Now, as we wrap up this chapter, it's worth noting that for some people, as they read Daniel 3 and other places similar, they'll take what God does here as a promise of the way that he will always work, that God will always physically deliver you if you have enough faith. On the contrary, now Jesus and the other New Testament writers, they continually remind us that if our faith is in Jesus, it will mean a path of suffering. It will mean scorn. Now Peter says in his first letter, chapter 4, He says, hey, dear Christian friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal 
comes, comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. He says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. God doesn't promise that he will rescue us from fire or sickness or poverty or COVID or persecution. Now we still feel these things in a fallen and broken world. But yet we can take heart because God has already acted to rescue us from our, in our far greater moment of need. Rescue us from our debt to him of our sin. But an encouragement that we should still take away from Daniel 3 is that God isn't absent in our sufferings either. God was there with those three friends in the fire. And nor is he absent from us when we suffer under pressure or face persecution or go through hard times. So be encouraged as you remember the big idea here that the God who saves is worth giving up your life for. And finally, on that, Jesus is not only worth giving up your life for, but in fact, he actually calls you to do it. Now listen to these words from Jesus in in Mark chapter 8. We're told that Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And Jesus is saying that you can't actually follow him unless you give up your life, unless you die to living for self, unless you concede that he is Lord and I am not. Now, for some Christians, this kind of unwavering allegiance to Christ will mean that they do pay the ultimate sacrifice, their lives. But I want you to see here that, in fact, all Christians are called to give up our lives for him. Now, it's at this point that we could take an excursion uh, and we could think in this story about the way that actually, more than relating ourselves to those three friends, we're a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar in a lot of ways. Right? We generate idols for ourselves to worship. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, he puts it this way. He says that our hearts are a perpetual factory of idols. In other words, we keep looking for things to praise and worship. And in one way, that shouldn't surprise us. Because God has wired us for worship. The only question is, what will the object of our praise and worship be? Now, for some people, perhaps for you. It might be that that thing is money. The thing you worship like an idol might be your job. It might be a relationship. It might be a sport or something else you do for leisure. Or it may be your house. But more than that, so often what we end up worshipping as an idol is ourselves. And our world encourages it. Indulgence becomes the aim. Self-care becomes self-worship. And as is the case when we, as what we've been thinking about today. When we idolise ourselves, when we overvalue ourselves and undervalue God, it's in that moment that we can be tempted to self-preservation, which leads then to the temptation to compromise. 
And so when the pressures and temptations come for us to compromise here, when the world looks at us perhaps with blazing eyes uh, for not joining in with them in what they stand for, when the temptation comes to justify ourselves in not rendering complete allegiance to God and his word, right? when the allegiances of our lives collide with the allegiance that God calls us for, you're not going to be able to endure the furnace of the world's scorn unless your eyes are fixed on Jesus, the one who first endured for us the furnace of God's judgment. Once you see that, once that captivates your hearts, what Jesus has done for you, then despite anything you face, you'll be able to say that you know what God has gone through in love for you. And so I can go through plenty more for him. What don't I pray that that would be true for our lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are seated on your throne. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray that we would put to death our sinful lives, live for self, and that we would give you the true allegiance that you deserve. Father, take us, shape us, renew us, show us our sin, root it out of our heart, and plant deep inside us a love for Jesus, a knowledge of what you went through in him for our sake. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us live godly and obedient lives that glorify you and give you the allegiance that you deserve. Father, help us to live lives that that are different from the world, live lives in spite of the world's pressure. Father, help us to have eyes for the King and the kingdom that will last and endure. Amen. Well, let's go to another time of praise.
Well, as we come to a time of prayer now, let's offer God our hearts. Let's bring to him the things that are going on in our lives. And let's praise him for who he is. Ask him for forgiveness for when we fall short of his of giving him the glory he deserves. Ask for forgiveness for when we make idols of things that are less than God. Uh, let's bring before him all the needs that we have and bring give him all the praise that he deserves. Uh, after our prep time of prayer, I will go to another time of praise.
Well, let me finish by encouraging you again with those words from Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And with those encouraging words of Jesus, have a great week. We'll see you next time.